You're listening to the audio-only version of the Moe Gamer podcast. Don't forget you can watch a video version of this episode over on YouTube. Check moegamer.net for a link to the channel. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to the Moe Gamer podcast. I'm Pete Davison and my work colleagues this week told me I sound like an airline pilot. So, uh, thanks for that. <laughs> Make sure your um, seats are in the upright position. Indeed, yeah. This is on specifically on conference calls, though, so uh, you know it probably doesn't apply here. Probably, don't leave comments telling me whether or not I do sound like that. But uh, never mind. Anyway, um, please. I joined one. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Because the internet needs more comments like that. Anyway, I am joined as always uh, by my good friend Chris Kasky of MrGilderPixels.com, and we're here to talk about a variety of stuff for you today. We're going to follow our usual three-segment format with news, what we've been playing, and then a topic episode. And it should be a slightly shorter episode this time around, because uh, I think we're both quite tired. So. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you doing, Chris? I know you you were up late last night. Yeah, I didn't get in until about 2.30 last night, which is something that I was in the habit of in my 20s, but not so much in my 30s. <laughs> uh, horror movie triple feature at the drive-in, so it was good. Lots of cheesy uh. 70s schlock. Nice. What were the movies? Uh, so the first one was Deranged, which is, was a thinly veiled and poorly disguised attempt to tell the Ed Gain story, just with kind of several of the names changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was Terror House, which <laughs> which was a delightful film about a beautiful young redhead who wins a mysterious vacation to go to a stunning mid-century beach house and wherein it is discovered that many young girls have mysteriously won vacations and the mm. and the sweet old couple who are very good cooks are slowly killing the girls one by one on their quote last day and then feeding the other girls feeding them to the other girls to fatten them up down the line <laughs> so that was great um, and then the third one was called the severed arm <laughs> <laughs> Wherein a, a group of men who had been spelunking in their youth um, accidentally caused a cave-in, and then they drew straws to figure out who they were going to eat um, after being trapped for several weeks, and mm-hmm. and they cut uh, one of the guy's arms off when he drew the short straw, and then as soon as they cut his arm off, they got rescued, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then he went mad, and then his children... Um, plotted to slowly hunt down each of the old each of the other guys late in life and cut off their arms one by one. Oh. Nice. Yeah, it was like a cannibal themed <laughs> night basically. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's cool. That it sounds like it, uh, those all sort of reasonably unknown ones cuz I, I know I've certainly never heard of them. Not that I'm a particular horror movie buff or anything, but uh, Oh yeah. They were all like B-tier garbage. It was incredible. Nice. Nice. That's what you want from a night like that, really, isn't it? Just something that you can, you can kind of watch and have a bit of fun with, and not take it too seriously. Oh yeah, we were dying laughing. I'm pretty <laughs> sure, like, I'm pretty sure 95 percent of everyone in the drive-in at that point was high, and like every everyone was just like dying laughing. Like you could see like cars shaking from people who were like laughing so hard. It was it was a really 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 fun time. I'll be going back there for sure. That's awesome. Cool. All right, let's get into the news, shall we? Yes. Um, probably not quite as much to talk about as, as last time here, so uh, we won't keep you, dear audience, for quite as long as uh, as we have done in the last couple of episodes. It's the post-TGS um, slump. 
Yes, indeed. But uh, there's still a few things to talk about. So let's jump in with, um, well, should we start with a, a brief chat about Bowsette? We can. I think we probably should acknowledge this, shouldn't we? Yeah. Um, so if you are on social media, you have you are probably well familiar with Bowsette already. Um, but if you don't follow Twitter or anything like that, or you know, places to post fan art, basically, you might not have come across this. So the story is that um, Nintendo released a trailer for their upcoming deluxe release of New Super Mario Bros. U, which is coming to the Switch. Um, and there's a, a bit of new content in that. One of which is Toadette as a playable character. And Toadette has a power-up that's exclusive to her called the Super Crown, which she can pick up and it basically turns her into Peach, or Peachette, as she uh, as she's known in that form. So it's, it's basically like a... She looks like Peach, but she's got a sort of Toadette-themed outfit, basically. Um, and so a, a fan artist online um, conjectured what might happen if uh, another character put the Super Crown on. And naturally, this led to uh, a bit of a bit of Rule 63 gender bending, with Bowser turning into uh, a hot, big city goth girlfriend, um, and then it kind of snowballed from there, really, in in some in a phenomenon that I haven't seen since uh, Cat Keyhole Bra became a meme. I don't think. Um, so yeah, this, <laughs> this 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 original comic strip was by uh, a Mal- Malaysian artist who calls himself Hanua. Um, and he posted it on September 19th and um, sort of within the space of a day he'd gone from less than 100 followers to several thousand followers and at the time of writing he's uh, somewhere up well above sort of 60,000 followers on Twitter now just because this original comic strip was so popular and his design of female cute human monster girl Bowser was so cute that everyone immediately wanted to draw more fan art of it um and it's yeah it's shown no signs of slowing down as yet and it's even expanded into some of the other mario characters as well so we've seen twists on a few other ones i think the most common one besides bowser at the moment is uh, is buette which is uh, a twist on on king boo who seems to be represented as a sort of uh, pale-faced long-tongued ghost girl um but I, i've seen a few others all over the place as well people keep trying to make chain chomp happen i've seen a couple of yeah, i saw a really good chain chomp one yeah but yeah, Bowser is the the original and most well known. Uh, if if you look at something like Dan Boru right now, uh, there's uh, one one point eight thousand uh, images on there at the minute, uh, <laughs> oh, shit. and this this is this is in ten days. This has happened, so um, yeah, that's that's probably going to continue for a little while, is yet. So uh, yeah, any thoughts? <laughs> I I mean, it's to witness the birth of a meme. Is is just really something special. I don't think I've ever really been on like the ground like this to watch one like culminate. I've always kind of come late game, like when a meme is already going on. So like this has just been kind of an amazing phenomenon to observe. Mm. Um, and all, all other thoughts are not appropriate to discuss <laughs> in public. Re Bowsette. Um I you know uh, I've, I'm gonna try maybe to do one myself. <laughs> <laughs> maybe if i have time this weekend but uh we'll see what happens uh, i love it it's incredible yeah it's it's fantastic and as a lot of people brought um pointed out while it was sort of at it, at its peak um over the last weekend or so it was it was really nice because it was drawing all sorts of people together and it was making people forget about sort of ranting about politics for a few days which was just lovely believe yeah. me so nice 
Um, just seeing your, your your timeline flooded with this gorgeous artwork because pe- people aren't just doing sort of like cheap cash in artworks. People are putting some real love and effort into this artwork. People really love this character. So, yeah, it's been fantastic to see. And long may it continue. Um, someone also pointed out that there is no way that um, Miyamoto hasn't seen this. <laughs> which I oh, find very, Im- which I find incredibly amusing. I, I think several people have tried to approach Nintendo for comment, but they've just refused to say anything on it. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's been it's been something. I just can't like, I just can't wait to see if it just keeps going. So like, you know, hopefully the. I mean, obviously the fever is going to die down at some point, uh-huh. but I'm really hoping it keeps going for a while because there's so many classic Mario enemies that would be cute. Like, yeah. I'd love to do a Hammer Brother, like with like, like a cute construction theme, like a little yeah. hard hat or something. There's all kinds of interesting ideas and characters. Yeah, good stuff. All right, um, let's move on to some uh, some other stories then. So, first one I wanted to bring up is uh, Ace Attorney trilogy. The the first three Phoenix Wright games they're getting re released again. Um, this time they are coming to Switch, PlayStation Four, Xbox One, and PC. So they are finally leaving the handheld realm uh, kind of anyway because i know you can still play handheld on switch but uh, yeah they are coming to tv connected consoles and pc for the first time which is nice um there was a wii release of some of the ds versions at one point um that was a, a kind of a, a strange one that was a sort of half-hearted port and i don't think they did the whole trilogy there so this is going to be the first time that the the full phoenix Wright trilogy is going to be available on something other than a nintendo ds platform so that's pretty cool yeah i have zero experience with phoenix right so you'll, um, you'll hate them you'll hate them oh i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure but just from a um you know experience perspective like i do mm-hmm. want to know what it's all about yeah. so I, I definitely do want to check this out um and as usual a, col- a collaborative set on the switch seems like the perfect jumping on point yeah definitely um so I, I mean, I've I've been a fan of of this series since since the start. Basically, I, I think I mentioned on the Nintendo DS episode that the original Ace Attorney is one of the reasons I bought a DS in the first place, just because I thought it was such an unusual concept for a game that I wanted to try it and see what it was all about, and I've I've really enjoyed it ever since. Um, yeah, it's just a really good example of uh, the modern Japanese adventure game. Um, so sort of heavily visual novel style storytelling but with a bit more interactivity than the standard visual novel tends to offer uh, but at the heart of it you're still working your way through a linear story by finding the right triggers and so on so um also fantastic soundtracks as well the phoenix Wright series has brilliant soundtracks which um yeah if you've never played them you might not know that but uh, yeah that's not yeah. i've never heard that yeah they, they they're absolutely wonderful the uh the the main themes um for each installment where you sort of presented a decisive th- uh, piece of evidence that is pretty much guaranteed to win you the case each one of those has got its own theme for that um and yeah they, those are always the best ones they they sort of rival good rpg battle themes in terms of intensity and composition and stuff so if you if you haven't tried those uh, or experienced those before then take a moment to check them out it's well worth it Okay, uh, continuing on, um, we have an announcement that uh, Sword Art Online Hollow Realization and Fatal Bullet are both headed to Nintendo Switch, which is cool. Um, I've actually still only played the first Sword Art Online game, uh, the re-Hollow Fragment version that they did where they revamped the Vita version for the PS4, uh, and I, I, I really enjoyed that. It's a really cool game. Um, 
it uh, kind of de-emphasizes the sort of narrative side of RPGs in favor of mechanics. A lot of people have compared it vaguely to um, stuff like Monster Hunter, even mm-hmm. because there's there's a lot of emphasis on going out into specific areas, finding things, hunting down specific monsters, and so on. The combat is very different to something like Monster Hunter because it's still sort of um, I don't want to say action RPG because it's not, but it's it's probably closest in execution to sort of modern MMO combat. Uh, in that you've you've got sort of uh, attacks with cooldowns and so on. You've got auto attacks and and that kind of thing. So it's all about triggering the right skills at the right times and so on. Um, I can't speak for the other games in this series because I haven't played them yet. But I know both Hollow Realization and Fatal Bullet were both pretty well received when they were released. So um, it'll be really good to have those on the Switch because um, an RPG of that type, which is sprawling, exploration based, lots of little things to do. Um, as we've said many times before, ideal for handheld platforms. Yeah, I'm um, really excited about this. I don't have any experience with any of these either, but mm. um, mainly I never got into them because it just seemed like whenever I was ready to get one of them, a new one got announced. <laughs> yeah, Because these games have been coming out relatively quickly, almost annually. Yeah. Um, so I love the concept, certainly. Mm-hmm. Of, I love the whole faux MMO. Yeah. thing it's it's a favorite of mine uh, i'm very specifically interested in fatal bullet um because dimps mm. dimps developed that and i really like oh, really their, I, yeah, did, I, I didn't know that bit yeah i like their stuff a lot and mm. i i just like the idea of i don't know it seems interesting to me to play a faux mmo that is also a third person shooter and the stuff you're collecting yes. is guns instead like it's yeah. not something i i've played much conceptually so that that yeah. one really appeals to me specifically mm-hmm. and to have it have, obviously to have a complete edition with all the dlc and everything yes i was just going to say the thing you'll particularly like about fatal bullet is they've specifically highlighted that one is going to be a complete edition um i don't think they've actually finished releasing all the dlc for fatal bullet yet but the the switch version is going to coincide with the last pack i think and it's just mm-hmm. going to come with everything in one place so yeah uh, if you haven't jumped on that yet, that's probably going to be the the ideal way to experience that. So they haven't yeah, said look- Hollow Realization is a complete one, but why wouldn't it be? I, d- I don't see why it wouldn't. So it, it kind of puzzles me why they haven't said that. But may- maybe they just sort of maybe they just think people will assume that, given that it's a little bit older now. But uh, I don't know. I, I know that Fatal Bullet has been specifically highlighted by Bandai Namco as as being a complete edition, though. So we shall see. I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm probably going to check out at least some of these sort of online games on Mario Gamer at some point in the future, possibly as a, um, a sort of casual collaboration with some anime bloggers I know, uh, because there is a new season of the anime coming out, I think, next year, and it's going to be like a super long season as well, um, so like not your typical 12 episodes, it's going to be going on for, for a significant proportion of the year, I think, so it um, seems like the ideal time to kind of jump in on a bit of that fever i have i haven't revisited the anime since the the first long season so there's a bit that i haven't watched um i know some people are a bit snobby about sword art online because it's sort of like a, a casual anime that that sort of gets new people into anime but I, i've always enjoyed it and there's there's a lot of good things you can say about it and as i say my experience with the games although limited has been very very positive so i'm, I'm certainly keen to take a take another look at that yeah, it's not a it's not a property I'm super familiar with. Just in general, knowing the games exist and that the games look like a lot of fun, but mm-hmm. you know, when when the concept of Sword Art Sword Art Online started becoming popular, I was just kind of one of those snobby kids who was like, "Dot hack, been there, done that." Like, <laughs> like ten like ten years ago, like I'm not interested in yeah. doing this again. But yeah. it looks great, and I do want to play these games. They look like a lot of fun. 
Cool. Right. Okay. Uh, you had a couple of stories you wanted to bring up, I think. I did. A piece of tragic news for um, classic Monolith Soft fans. Um, I am, and I hope many other people, are big fans of the Botan Kaido series on the GameCube, um, which was something that Monolith did for Nintendo back before Monolith was owned by Nintendo. Yeah. Um, a really unique series of RPGs with a very strange kind of ethereal setting and a battle system based on cards, uh, collecting mm-hmm. cards and drawing cards. Um, they are really cool games. Um, Monolith Soft's uh, Yasuyuki Hone shared that it has now been 10 years since Botan Kaidos 2, which is kind of crazy to think about, um, and that a third one was in fact um, in talks to be created. There, were pre-produ- there was pre-production work on it, and uh, it just never came to fruition. So somewhere out there, there's art and planning done for a Botan Kaidos 3, but now that the Xeno Saga, or sorry, Xeno Blade train is a money printing machine for Nintendo, I, I highly, <laughs> I highly doubt something like that will ever get greenlit. But it's just nice to know at some point they were going to work on that. Well, <laughs> you, you never know, I guess, with this sort of thing, do you? Because I mean, one of this stuff have surely got a bit of, they've surely got Nintendo's ear by now. So you never know when they're when they're done uh, putting out Xenoblade Two DLC, they might just be able to go, well, you know. There's this, there's this thing we've always wanted to do. Could we, maybe? <laughs> Fingers crossed. I mean, yeah. Nintendo has proved in the past couple of years that they do listen to voice fan voices, and they are in the shadows, like, listening to what people are saying. So if enough people make a stink and say, yeah, I'd buy this, like, maybe it will move the needle a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So, never say never. I'd, I'd certainly be interested to check it out. It's not a series I'm familiar with at all, to my shame, but... Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I'd definitely be interested to see more stuff from Monolith stuff that isn't Xeno, uh, whatever. I think you'd enjoy it a lot. I mean, you have such a background in enjoying card games and tabletop. Mm, yeah. So just the fusion of card game with standard JRPG is is really nice, and the setting mm-hmm. is so. And the setting is super unique, and the music is incredible. So it's worth checking out. It really is. Cool. All right, what else you got? Uh, Castlevania. Yes. Uh, So Castlevania Requiem, uh, Symphony of the Night, and Rondo of Blood together in one pack. It's really exciting because really uh, Rondo of Blood has only ever been available in the West in the form of that uh, weird 3D, 2.5D PSP remake. Yes. And the original was an unlockable inside of that, but it was on your PSP and you had to unlock Mm. it by playing the 3D version. Um, Rondo of Blood, for those of you who aren't super Castlevania nuts like me, was on the PC engine. And it's technically in the Castlevania timeline, the game that immediately precedes Symphony of the Night. Yeah. So when you you play that game's last boss, you play that game's last boss battle as part of the intro to Symphony of the Night, don't you? Yeah, yeah. So the 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 dire monster, you don't belong in this world. Like that that (laughs) that 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 silly boss fight that you can't lose is the end boss of Rondo of Blood. Yeah. Um. So this is really great news. Um. Mainly because Symphony of the Night is one of the greatest video games ever made, and I will broker no argument. Agreed. No Um, argument here. So it's great, just great that this will be readily available to a new generation of people, and I'm really excited that 
some people who've never been able to experience Rondo of Blood will get to play it because it is an unparalleled side scroller like classic mm-hmm. side scroller rondo of blood is not a quote-unquote metroidvania it's just a pure castlevania with levels yeah and and some little things that you can influence so you're trying to rescue your girlfriend and your girlfriend's sister um and you can actually pick up a key as a power-up and then you have to carry that key through one of the levels to find where the girls are locked away Mm-hmm. So, so there's choices you can make and routes you can take that kind of modify the game and change the challenge a little bit because when you're carrying the key, you can't pick up any of the classic power-ups. Yeah. So little little stuff like that that was kind of a new hiccup in the Castlevania um, formula. It's it's just and it's beautiful. It's just a stunning game. Um, obviously, I as with most people out there I've talked to are disappointed that it hasn't been announced for the Switch. Yeah. Um, but that's pretty clearly because the symphony of the night appears to be running in pure playstation emulation mm-hmm. to which um sony would not condone to have ported onto other systems so that's probably why we're only seeing this on ps4 yeah which but is it, strange it, because the the 360 did get that symphony of the night yeah i was gonna say there's a 360 version um i've read some other theories about this as well i think this this is something to do with one of the developers working on the sort of back end of it and stuff is something to do with sony i think so oh very specific it's 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 something really specific and silly like that um so yeah unfortunately it is unlikely that we'll see a switch release of that um it also sounds like it's unlikely we'll get a physical release of it as well which is a bit of a bummer but uh you know you have to take what you can get sometimes i i actually have like the disc for the PC engine of Rondo of Blood. It's like one of my like prized possessions. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm actually good with physical on this either way. Yeah. I, I yeah. I I I've spoken to you offline uh, a bit about some of the games that I regret getting rid of over the years and the original Symphony of the Night on PlayStation is one of those games. Just cuz the the European version of this was lovely. It came in like um um, you know those uh, sort of uh, four CD dual cases that sort of yeah. have two, sort of two two CD cases stuck together, mm-hmm. um, and so in the front there was the the game disc and the manual, uh, and in the back it was sort of uh, transparent plastic and there was artwork and there was a soundtrack CD in there that was sort of selections from all through Castlevania history. That's awesome. Um, it was amazing. It was the first time I ever heard the Castlevania three music with the enhanced Famicom sound was on that oh. CD. And I just fell in love with that there. It was amazing. And yeah, I'm kicking myself for getting rid of that at some point in my life. That's because that sounds like a beautiful because it's, set. It is. And it's very expensive now. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. You, you can't regret everything. No. All right, moving on. Um, a little while back, we talked about uh, Katakawa Games is uh, working on some new stuff to do with Root Letter, which was a visual novel that they released uh, probably, was it, was it last year or the year before that? I think it might have been the year before that. But it was a really cool game, uh, sort of set in rural Japan. Uh, so it was set in a real world uh, area. And the concept of it was uh, sort of a, a, a 30-year-old protagonist was coming back to this town that he used to live in and uh, basically trying to solve a mystery. So he was pen pals with a girl from this town, um, and they exchanged lots of letters with each other, and he receives this this letter from her um, way after 
sort of all his, his school life and everything has gone on so he goes to try and track her down but there seems to be all sorts of mysterious stories about uh whether she's actually dead whether she died in a fire whether she was a real person pretending to be someone else and all sorts of things and it's a really cool mysterious game um with mechanics very much like ace attorney actually I've described it several times as Ace Attorney for the over thirties because it's um, it's <laughs> because I mean the mechanics are very similar. It's all about sort of finding objects, sort of manipulating your inventory, questioning people. Except uh, all of the main cast are sad, dissatisfied thirty-somethings who wonder where their life has gone wrong. Is there any other type? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in twenty eighteen. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah the the uh new news about this is that root letter last answer which they announced the title for before but not anything else about uh root letter last answer is uh going to be a live action remake of that original root letter game um and it's coming for playstation 4 vita and switch so basically vita. what they're doing is that yeah yeah um so they are basically remaking the original game but instead of the sort of uh, painting style backgrounds and the anime style artwork on top of it i think the the artwork was originally done by the guy who did love plus for konami uh, they're now using uh, actual photographs and live actors and presumably some video as well so um it's gonna have some new scenarios as well so those who played the original game will have some new content to explore as well as the the existing stories uh and apparently its gameplay has some big changes as well they haven't said exactly what but uh yeah there are some changes to the gameplay um so yeah this is interesting to me and this seems like it's going to be a, a new trend um i mentioned 428 shibuya scramble last episode i think mm -hmm. uh which has just been released um and has had very 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 uh, strong critical reception particularly in Japan I think it got a perfect 14 for Mitsu uh, which you don't see very often these days um, but yeah that that is all photographs and live action and stuff and this seems to be quite a popular approach for visual novels these days um, just because cheap. it's something yeah well, it's cheap yeah um, it's it, it's a bit different it's a very striking aesthetic um, and yeah there's there's I'm sure there's some things you can do with live action that you can't do with anime art and and vice versa as well so um it'd be interesting to see how other other developers kind of jump on this trend uh, if at all but uh, yeah root letter is certainly going to be one of those uh it's due out in December of this year in Japan um and hopefully um should follow not too long afterwards in in this country they haven't announced the localization yet but the first root letter got localized within like a couple of months it was oh, wow. a very very quick process um so hopefully it'll be the same for this one i don't even question it anymore yeah like the, day, the day and age we live in it's, it's pretty uh i'm like on the opposite side of the spectrum i was on during like the, during like the ps3 years and it was like no nothing cool gets localized we're so lucky <laughs> when we get something now it's like too much shit gets localized i don't know what to, <laughs> i don't know what to buy stop localizing as many games <laughs> so i don't feel guilty passing on as many games yeah yeah um yeah so talking of localizations then uh Curry tecmo has confirmed that it's bringing the remastered uh, atelier arland series to uh ps4 switch and pc so this is the atelier arland dx i think it's called uh, or deluxe pack um that includes the three atelier arland games that were originally on ps3 and then got enhanced re-releases on vita um, and also Rorona got another enhanced re-release back on PS3 as, as well so it's it's been all over the place this sub-series but it's quite a popular part of the Atelier series as a whole 
Is the Arland series that was the first one to make the transition to the 3D, right? Or, or, um, or was that a later? Was that a later trilogy? With, it, I'm not the, hugely the, into these series, so I don't know yeah, the history too well. The, the Arland ones were the first ones on PS3. So before that, you had the Atelier Iris series. On yeah, PS2. I played the Iris trilogy. Yeah. So the Iris games were slightly more conventional RPGs that still had a sort of crafting aspect to them. But the the Arland games, they really played up the the crafting aspects like the like the earliest Atelier games did. So the focus was very much on young girl has shop, crafts things, occasionally fights monsters. Um, I think they might have been the first ones to have uh, Mel Kishida on the artwork as well. So they've got that very uh, okay. distinctive. Uh, they've got that very distinctive sort of. Um, almost colored pencil look to them so sort of very soft outlines it was uh, it was sort of some of the some of the best examples of uh, of what i like uh, what i tend to think of as the gust beautiful girls look these days mm-hmm. um but yeah they're, they're cool games uh d- to be honest i've actually still only played rorina um i'm I've yet to play totori and uh Meruru, despite owning two copies of them at this point um because i've got the vita versions as well um, but yeah, I guess I'm going to have a third copy of all of them as well with this. <laughs> so it's uh, it's looking like this is going to be a digital early, uh, digital early, digital only release on this uh, for the moment. They haven't said anything about a physical version. There is a physical version in Japan, so it's not out of the question. Anything's uh, but, possible. Exactly. Gus has if, worked with NIS in the past. Exactly. Um, yeah. Like they did with the, the special Vita release of, um, oh God, what was that game? The Artanelico spin-off. Oh yeah, Arno Surge. Ar- Arno yeah. Surge. They did it. They did a special edition physical release of Arno Surge that was pre-order only. So maybe something like that will happen. Yeah, could could well do. So, um, but yeah, the, the only announcement so far has been that uh, they're going to be digital only over here. Um, but they have had a, a fresh coat of paint. They've got uh, pretty much all the DLC that was available for the uh, the PS3 and Vita versions, which was mostly costumes and extra music anyway. So nothing really gameplay changing but it's nice to have the additional options um and yeah so that will bring those games to a whole new audience and uh hopefully we'll we'll sort of see some of the other ones getting a re-release as well because they're they're slightly less well known but still pretty well regarded so atelier is another series that i really need to sort of delve properly into on my gamer at some point because it's, it's so sprawling by this point that I, I i need to take some time to explore at least a couple of the sub-series in detail it is sure. the madden of rpgs you get, a, you get an atelier a year, <laughs> like, clock, like clockwork. It's unbelievable. Yeah. All right. Um, just a couple of things I wanted to bring up. Um, we we talked uh, briefly about uh, Kenichiro Takaki's Uppers getting a localization a while back. Yes. Uh, it, seems, it seems like it is getting a physical release as well, which is cool. Um, so that's been listed on Amazon UK. Um, so looking like at the very least, Europe will be getting a physical version. Uh, nothing confirmed for the US yet. Um, Marvelous' stuff is is kind of in a, a, a slightly weird situation with regard to localizations because rather than one localization company handling America and Europe, you've got Xseed handling everything in America, and then you've got Marvelous Europe uh, doing stuff over here, and they often end up doing different things. Um, so something getting a physical release over here isn't necessarily a guarantee it will get one over there and vice versa. But uh, fingers crossed that will get uh, a proper yeah. boxed copy that you can enjoy. Luckily, the PS4 is all region. Like I have some. Indeed, I have some UK games for my PS4 that I imported. Dude. Yeah, 
Yep, same, vice versa for me. So I cool. think I bought um, Senra and Cargo or Shinobi versus the American version because that oh, didn't yeah, get yeah, a physical yeah. release over here. So And it had a really nice boxed copy in the States. So. Yeah, and you guys got the Bloodborne complete. Yes. And we did not in the States, so I had to import that. And I remember when that... Uh, oh, what was that like weird action, JRP, action JRPG-style game that was kind of like near uh, Anima? It's based on a card game. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Anime Gator Memories. And, and the U.S. version originally that was announced was a huge, big, dumb box set, and I didn't want it. Yeah. <laughs> but but the in the U.K., there was just a, a game-only physical release for, like, 20 bucks. So, yeah. like, I was like, I wasn't going to pay 60 bucks for, like, lith- lithographs and, like, <laughs> like that, I, <laughs> that I had from a property that I had no attachment to. I just wanted the game, so I remember I imported mm-hmm. the U.K. version of that. Yeah. I, yeah, I've got that on my shelf somewhere. Actually, I need to check that out. It's pretty cool. So, I mean, it's janky, but it's it's a lot of fun. And the world. I live for the jank. You know that. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> it's it's it compares very favorably to Nier. It's like almost like an indie Nier. Sounds good to me. All right. Okay. Uh, you had a couple of things uh, you wanted to bring up as well. Yeah, I just think? little dumb stuff. Um, I, I had a good laugh today. I know you and I are both really looking forward to Warriors Arachi Four, mm-hmm. um, and. It was announced this week that Warriors Arachi Four has won a Guinness World Record. Oh, for, wow. For, wow! What could that be for? For most playable characters in a hack and slash video game, where goodness me, wherein a hack and slash video game is defined as a video game with combat that focuses on real time combat with hand to hand weapons. The record is measured by the total number of unique playable characters, of which Warriors Arachi Four has one hundred and seventy. <laughs> now, there's two components to this that are worth discussing. One, it's really freaking awesome that Warriors Arachi 4 has 170 playable characters. <laughs> and I cannot wait. Two, how hilariously dumb is this? Because it's very clear that this was just created for Warriors Arachi f- to win it. <laughs> like, yeah. Because it's not most playable characters in a video game. It's most playable characters in a specific genre, but it's pretty much only Warriors <laughs> games. Yeah. Like, it might as well be called most playable characters in a Warriors game. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's just hilarious to me. Yeah, it's, it's just it's ridiculous. It's but publicity but, but stunt. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like, like I said, Guinness World Records have been just publicity stunts for a long time, and, and the vast majority of stories you hear about Guinness World Records these days are people setting a new record in something that has been specifically designed for them because that's how it works now it's not like there's a there's a big list of records that people try and beat it's that people write to guinness and say hey i've got this great idea for a record um here's what i'm proposing is that okay and they go yeah fine and then they do it with someone watching and then they go yep that's a record off you go (laughs) (laughs) we've come a long way since man with longest fingernails those were those, those were the real days of guinness yeah there used to be a, a children's TV show over here called Record Breakers, uh, and it was sort of like one of the most beloved children's TV shows over here, and that was all like proper records. I mean, there was some bizarre stuff in there as well, but it, it was it was not people setting new records in ridiculous things. It was people specifically trying to beat things that had been done before and you do them better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was sort of one of those sort of really inspirational programs that everyone used to everyone used to watch just to kind of get a, a feel-good kick out of it but uh yeah guinness isn't what it once was in, <laughs> in this regard 
Yeah, so I thought that was goofy and worth talking about. Um, previous episode, we talked about your enjoyment of SNK Heroines. We've got an interesting new character announcement for the another DLC character, which is, excitingly enough, a uh, fan favorite from the Street Fighter EX days. So they're crossing over with um, the fighting EX Slayer, which is by the old um, Street Fighter EX people over to Atarika. And bringing, bringing Skullamania into the mix, which is bizarre to me on a couple different levels, because it, it's another gender swap character a la Terry Bogard, which is weird. Yeah. Um, but also, it's funny to me because Skullamania's design is inherently just entirely about costume. And like part of the interesting thing about SNK Heroines is costumes and accessories, like changing costumes and accessories. So I'll be yeah. really curious to see what kind of other costumes Skullamania gets <laughs> when the entire design of the character is costume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know much about this character. I, I know I know that a few people have been quite upset that that they got announced in favor of uh, sort of actual SNK heroines. That's kind of uh, where I am with it. I, <laughs> as we discussed two weeks ago, for every character that's announced that is not Blue Mary, I'm burning something <laughs> to the ground. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I have nothing to add to that, really. It's just so bizarre to see. Yeah. But, yeah. But it's fun. I mean, it's a cool Skullmania is a cool character, and like some of the yeah. mo- some of the moves look good. So it's interesting. Yeah, fighting Ex Layer seems to be doing quite well as well at the minute. People seem to be responding quite well. I think it's. Um, I think I saw news this week that it's getting a PC release as well. Yeah, um, which is obviously going to expand the audience a bit as mm-hmm. well. So yeah, nice bit of crossover there. And again, this could be an example of SNK heroines getting someone interested in a character and then encouraging them to graduate onto something a bit more complicated. So sure, you never know. That that may well be the thinking behind it. Yeah, I'm very excited to check out Fighting EX Lair at some point in my life, but I'm just kind of waiting to see what happens. Obviously, because there's a lot of DLC and stuff happening now. And of course, I I, yeah. I don't see a situation where it won't get a complete one a year down the line or whatever. Whenever Arika's yeah. done done with it so um it's just cool to me that it's kind of a new fighting game but not really like a spiritual successor to street fighter ex with some of the old characters returning but also new characters it's just exciting to me as a long time fighting game casual fan when a new fighter comes on the scene with new characters that doesn't have a tremendous legacy behind it to, to yeah. really bog it down like i feel like street fighter so loaded these days like i don't even want to play street fighter anymore yeah so it's cool when a new game emerges with some something interesting to do with a kind of new mechanical focus. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to see. What else did we have here? I just wanted to do a quick Kickstarter plug. Um, mm-hmm. Something I've been following along for a long time has finally appeared. Uh, Pixel Arc Studios, which is... Um, I believe this will be their first game. I tried looking up other stuff they've worked on, but I have been following them on Twitter for some time because their actual style of pixel art is unbelievable. So they've finally released the Kickstarter campaign is now live for Bushiden, a futuristic ninja action platformer. And I don't really have words for how beautiful this is looking. Um, for those who have ever played Hagane on the Super Nintendo, it basically looks like a combination of Hagane with the large explorable levels of something like Turrican. So yeah. so it's saying it's Metroidvania inspired, but it's also levels. 
So it's not one huge explorable place, but every level is going to be big and, and be kind of explorable within itself, which is kind of the old school Turrican way of doing things. Um, I just, this game is beautiful. Go throw them $5, please, so it can exist. Yeah, sounds good. They are c right. currently 17000 of their $70,000 goal with 27 days to go, so not too shabby. Yeah, this does look gorgeous, so yeah, I'd encourage anyone who's interested in seeing more of this type of thing to, uh, to go and check that out, for sure. Okay, um, I'll stay on the, the Kickstarter front, because I've got a, a project that I want to mention that I, I, I actually haven't had time to check out in detail yet, but uh, I've had a lot of people enthusing at me and specifically requesting me to check this out, so I, I, I will mention it now, and then I'm going to do a write-up on the demo version for this at some point in the next couple of weeks. So, um... There's a studio called uh, Ninetail uh, who have partnered with um, Jast USA uh, and they're running a Kickstarter for a game that they've got called Venus Blood Frontier, which is a strategy RPG with uh, kind of a heavy, heavy use of Norse mythology. Ooh, okay. Um, so, um, yeah, so you, you play the part of Prince Loki uh, and you're trying to conquer Yggdrasil um, and then... I can say I, I haven't looked into this. I, I, I'm, I'm reading this off the, uh, the the press release I've got at the minute. So it's, it's basically a strategy RPG. So you can compose your own armies. Um, you can create your bases, produce food. It seems to be rather than just sort of a, a standard uh, grid-based battle by battle a strategy RPG. There okay. seems to be a sort of a sort of grand scale thing going on as well. Oh, that's neat. So I you, love that. So you have sort of uh, you sort of have to have to. Um, think about your logistics and producing mm. food and resources and stuff as well so and capture territory um it is an 18 plus game so there is uh, filthy stuff in it as well um one of the uh sort of things that the developer specifically highlighted is that you can any of the goddesses that you capture you can uh treat them in one of two different ways shall we say um you can you can you can befriend them or you can corrupt them um I'm sure you can imagine what the what the latter involves, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. But basically, the the choices you make there, besides affecting the um, the uh, the hentai scenes, they they will also affect things like the the abilities that they get and the things they'll be able to do in combat and such like as well. So um, yeah, it looks like a really interesting game so far. As I say, there's not a huge amount I can say more about it at the minute because I haven't uh, had a chance to try the demo yet. But uh, Ninetales seems to be quite a respected developer. They've been around since 2006. They received a bunch of awards for their stuff in uh, Japan previously. But I don't think they've actually brought anything to the West before. So this is going to be uh, their first localized title, I believe. Um, they've got a strong emphasis on things like dark fantasy and stuff, and Venus Blood is actually a series that they've uh, that they've done up until now. So presumably, if this one does well, we we may well see more in a similar kind of uh, similar kind of vein, similar kind of setting. Um, yeah. So apparently, that they are currently working on the eleventh installment in the Venus Blood series. Oh, wow. So yeah, they've been they've been pretty prolific. It's always amazing um, to me how long some of these Arage series have been around. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, eleven games in like 12, 12 years is that? That's that's pretty pretty good going. I mean, when we look at something like Rants from Alice Soft, that's had sort of ten mainline installments, and that's been going since nineteen eighty nine. So, um, yeah, these guys have obviously been working their socks off on this series. So, yeah, do check that out on Kickstarter if you haven't already. If you're interested in this sort of thing, um, as I say, I've I've heard 
lots of excited sounding noises from people who know what they're talking about but i i can't say much more from first-hand experience just yet i'm but, looking uh, at there will be a write-up coming soon i'm looking at footage right now and um it basically looks to me like um like a low budget version of dragon force for the saturn which is praise uh-huh. i'm not knocking it but yeah, yeah it's i love that kind of grand scale map strategy game and that is yeah. a very very um rare genre like i can only name a couple games in that genre yeah there's there's a couple that i've played on pc from um uh sort of arrogate and visual novel developers in the past one of my favorite ones was uh acelia the eternal oh okay uh which uh that's actually quite an interesting one because it started as an arrogate then it got ported to playstation 2 as an all ages version and then that version was so good and so much better than the original 18 plus version that it got ported back to pc and localized which is uh, an unusual way of doing things but uh yeah so so we we've got the we've got the all ages version of that over here in the west and that was uh, that was released probably probably five or six years ago at this point but that that's an excellent one with a similar kind of idea to this so you sort of um get your units together into little squads um you try and do uh conquer a map a node at a time make sure you've got resources and so on so yeah there, there are companies who are working on the side of, side of things but it's um it's a kind of genre that tends to sort of slip by pretty unnoticed quite easily because it's even more niche interest than sort of your average rpg at this point mm-hmm. but yeah do check that out if uh, if you're interested in that kind of thing um and then finally just a quickie um there is uh, an announcement that uh neko works is that right yes uh so the people who worked on neko para uh they are or they have created a game called love cubed i think you pronounce it um don't know a lot about the game uh but it's got nice art and it's getting localized and brought to the west by faku um so yeah very little to say about that at the moment uh but if you enjoyed nekopara and such like then you may want to keep an eye on that one as well it doesn't have uh, sayori artwork so it's a slightly different style of art to to nekopara um but the the writing from that studio is pretty good so uh, worth a look all right i am spent i think you got anything else you want to mention no no that's good excellent all right okay we'll take a short break for now then and then we will come back and we'll talk a little bit about what we've been playing recently so see you in a moment Welcome back. In our second segment, we talk about what we've been playing recently. This is probably going to be a fairly brief segment this time around because uh, I think we've both either not been playing that much or playing the same thing a lot. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> Chris, you said you've um, you've not got a huge amount to talk about. So, do you want to jump in first? Yeah. Do you want to start with Dragalia? Yeah. Why not? Why not? We've both been checking that out a little bit. Okay, so Dragalia Lost is the new mobile game from Nintendo and Cygames. Cygames is the developer who's made a bunch of uh, successful mobile games in the past with their most, probably their most well-known one at the moment being Grand Blue Fantasy, but they were also responsible for uh, Rage of uh, Bahamut before that, 
which was inexplicably popular despite being total garbage. Um, <laughs> Luckily, Grand Blue is not. <laughs> no, no, no. Great, Grand Blue is actually a good game, but uh, Dragalia Lost is is them collaborating specifically with with Nintendo to make uh, a new game that they've been uh, hyping out for a little while now, actually. Um, and yeah, it's. Um, Structurally, it's basically very similar to something like Grand Blue Fantasy or any of these other games that you might have played recently. So there's little self-contained quests that you do. But the main twist in this one is that uh, rather than turn-based battles, you have um, action RPG combat. It there. feels like a mana game, basically. It's like free-to-play mana. Right. Yeah. Secret of mana. Uh-huh. So, um, well, what, 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 I, I know you've been playing a little bit of it this morning so what have been your your first reactions to it so far well, i mean uh, to the extent that i can be excited about a mobile game i'm quite impressed with it mm-hmm. um, you know uh, being nintendo and psy games i mean for me one of the huge turnoffs for most mobile games is just that the production values are crap yeah which is not the case here mm-hmm. i mean it's gorgeous 3d character models voice acting but just the level of polish is incredible and it feels like a real i mean with with the gotcha stuff taken out of the picture it feels like a proper fully featured game a proper fully featured action rpg and the controls work very well the touchscreen controls work very well so from my experience so far i I like it quite a bit um this might actually be a mobile game that i don't uninstall within 24 hours of installing it for a change which would be nice Yeah, it's always uh, nice to have something like that on your phone that you can fall back on when things get a bit boring or something like that. So, oh yeah, um, like like I say, it, there is a lot about this game that is very much we've seen it all before. But I think I think that that polish aspect you mentioned really can't be understated because this is, this is a really really beautifully polished product, um, and it, it, it kind of um, it kind of uh, corrects the one thing that bugged me the most about Grand Blue Fantasy, which is that although Grand Blue Fantasy had decent production values in a lot of ways so it had really nice artwork it had really good music and so on the whole thing was still built on html basically so it was but it was built like a web page so that meant that every screen you got into you could see it loading you could see it loading in the backgrounds like an old 90s web page and you pressed something and it took a couple of seconds for anything to respond and anything like that and that always really bugged me about grand blue i thought something like grand blue that was built natively for mobile phones would be really good and that that definitely works if you look like something uh, something like fake grand order which is also built specifically for mobiles rather than to be platform agnostic it, it feels much more like i try not to use the words a proper game but uh, you, you you know what i mean by that sure it, it feels like something that it, that is that is more than just a web page uh, with interactive content on it so yeah definitely that adds a lot to the appeal of it um it's got this great music as well, uh, which is by this artist called uh, Dalco, I think is how you pronounce it, uh, who is an established uh, pop star in Japan with uh, lots of lots of uh, sort of albums and singles under her belt. Um, m- most of the music in Dragalia Lost is based on her previous work. I think she's done a couple of original tracks for the game, and I believe I saw a news report recently that said she, uh, her new album is ba- basically sort of the, the lead track on that album is going to be the Dragalia Lost title theme. Oh, cool. Um, Cross promotion. Yeah, definitely. So, you so know she's how to be- do it in Japan. It's crazy. Ex- exactly. Yeah. So so she's been very heavily involved in this. Um, it's got an intro sequence by UFO Table as well. So really beautiful anime art while you're downloading stuff. Um and as the you art, say, yeah, the art in general, right? Yeah, like, the, the art in general is is really lovely. Um, 
slight disconnect between the chibi models and the sort of full-size artwork but you get that in a lot of rpgs these days and it's just something you you kind of have to deal with a bit but um the i, lo- the- I like that specifically <laughs> like my first my first i don't know how a lot of gotcha games work i don't know if your first draw is always the same like i don't know if everyone gets the first draw and it's always the same character i don't know uh, how that works but I'm my sure first he- yeah my first draw was musashi like the japanese like legendary swordsman musashi oh no that was different there yeah so you get yeah. a different one i, th- I so think like, it gu- i think it guarantees a certain rarity but it, uh, other than that it's okay. just sort of pulls from a particular pool so i have like chunky little musashi and it is reminding me of brave fencer musashi and it makes, <laughs> and it makes me super super happy right now yeah definitely and uh, like Grand Blue, they've put in a lot of effort to these characters as well. So every character has got their own little sequence of story episodes that you can follow through. So you, you get the character and you have their initial episodes. And then as you uh, you level them up through this uh, system called the Mana Ring, they call it, you expend mana to get new passive abilities and booster stats and so on. And one of the things on these Mana Rings is unlocking new episodes in their story as well. Um, and then completing those story episodes actually watching those and finding out more about the character rewards you with the crystals that you need to do more summons so it's it's pretty generous with the premium currency that you need to get the summons as well you just you just basically have to play it and every so often you'll you'll have enough to do a a 10 draw so it's it's very much like grand blue in that regard so the biggest criticism i've heard from people who play a lot of gacha games at the moment is the actual gacha rates are not terribly generous um, so the 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 five star pool rate is is pretty low from the sound of things compared to Grand Blue in particular. Um, but um, that really is only a huge issue if you're going to be getting super into playing it really seriously. Yeah. What I found I did get with... a five star. Already. Oh, did you? You've On actually done. First... Yeah. You've actually done better than me. I've got no five star characters. Yet. Uh, yeah, I've, I got I, a five. I got a five star dragon. I don't have a five star character. Yet. Uh, okay, yeah, I've I've got a five star worm print, I think, but not any characters. Um, but the the thing I wanted to raise with this is I've played quite a few gacha games um, where they have been very generous with things like the characters and the items you get to level up your characters and so on. I think Final Fantasy Brave Exvius is a really good example of this. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them are too generous at the beginning and it just means oh, okay. that the that the early hours of the game are just so pathetically easy that it's it's just not really any fun so like for example i i played brave exvis a bit around launch and it was it was it was okay around and i enjoyed it around then uh, but i revisited it recently and because i changed phones i had to start again so um but i got bombarded with so much stuff as sort of like rewards for maintenance and sort of a year-long celebrations and stuff like that but that before i'd even started going through the main storyline i had like a level capped party who could just absolutely destroy everything in their path and it just wasn't any fun mm-hmm. um so i think in some ways like a low gut uh, a low rate of drawing more powerful characters isn't necessarily a super bad thing unless you're getting super into the game um it's sort of end game and so on and i haven't played enough to know what the what the sort of end game of this is like at the moment or no. indeed how, how long the main story is but at the moment you can certainly get by pretty much just with the characters they give you as part of the story um and then a, cu- a couple of draws along the way as well so it's got some interesting systems in it it's got multiple ways of progressing your character so you can level up your characters your weapons your dragons and your uh worm prints um so there's lots of different ways to gain in power lots of different ways to customize your party every single character is playable 
so you, you don't have to control the main protagonist you can control any of the actual characters that you recruit and they all handle quite differently as well which is quite nice as soon as I pulled Musashi it's like you have been replaced yeah put the main put the main dragon that's supposed to be the protagonist's dragon on Musashi yep and then she's like you're the protagonist now <laughs> But yeah, um, and you're right, the, the touchscreen controls take a little bit of getting used to, but they, they are much better than a lot of games like this that I've seen in the past. So they don't use a virtual joypad or anything like that. They they do movement relative to where you first touch the screen. So um, you basically press and drag to move in a direction, tap on the screen to attack. Later on, you get some additional abilities where you can press and hold to do uh, sort of more powerful guard breaking attacks and such like. Um, it's very playable single-handed too. Yeah, definitely. Which is, ni- it, which is nice. I, I mean, it's, it's not always the case. It's specifically designed to be played single-handedly because it actually asks you which which hand you hold your phone with at the start, and it, it shows yep. someone holding that phone with one hand and sort of doing everything with the thumb. So, um, yeah, it's designed to, designed to be played with just one hand, really, and it, it's it's perfectly doable. Um, yeah, and it's got little things in there that, that I like. So, um, it's not just simple wars of attrition with the enemies. You've got sort of um, actually telegraphed attacks to dodge and that sort of thing as well so yeah the combat's pretty interesting um it hasn't been hugely challenging so far but I, i'm sure that all mount up as, as we go through i've unlocked the the sort of weekly event quests where you can grind for materials and uh, experience and, and money now as well and those often sort of present a more significant challenge than the main story as well so yeah i'm, I'm going to stick with it for a little while and uh, write up some thoughts on my game um on how i'm getting on with it much like i've done with grand blue fake grand order and girls frontline in the past but uh, yeah early impressions are pretty good so far so yeah. i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna try i'm gonna try with this one good man good I, man I, 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 listen i i usually when i try a new mobile game uh, i immediately shudder with revulsion <laughs> Like, I, I'm immediately put off. I mean, even ones that are supposed to be good. Yeah. Like, I tried Grand Blue, I tried Fate, I tried Fire Emblem. I just, there's just something about it that's like, makes me go, like, instantly. Yeah. Um, this one didn't so far. I mean, I'm yeah. still probably going to get angry at the gotcha stuff eventually, but just the production values are so good. And it, to me, the art is just a huge, a huge draw. Yeah. And it just feels like a game. Like, a proper game, as we were saying. I just... I have trouble with stuff like... Uh, like, I played Brave XVS for a couple weeks when that first came out. And it just... It didn't really feel like a game. It felt like I was just tapping, like, attack, 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 attack. Yeah, yeah. Not really making any significant choices. Even if the combat's not specifically challenging in Dragalia, just the fact that I'm moving, dodging, tapping to attack, like, it as a game is engaging me in a way that, like, yeah. prior prior mobile games have not... So I really appreciate that. So it's it's got some potential. Yeah, definitely. So I'm looking forward to spending a bit more time with that over the coming weeks. So, all right. Uh, anything else you've been playing that you'd like to bring up? Yes, um, and this will segue nicely eventually into our main topic of the day. But I have been playing Undertale ah. uh, since it released on the Switch um, because I never played Undertale before. Uh, part of the reason I never played Undertale was I found the entire phenomenon of Undertale so off-putting yeah. that I just didn't want to engage with it. Mm-hmm. I, I just the hugely explosive fandom of it was so intimidating, and me being like a pic- the pixel art guy and the art guy that I am, 
I, I find Undertale visually revolting. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I, I don't like the visuals of it at all. Um, and where I come from with games is always... I have to like the art first, because for me, when I play a game, it's almost always approaching it from the standpoint of, like, this is a visual piece of art that I want to explore. And that's kind yeah. of how I engage with games first and foremost. Mm-hmm. So... But I also knew it was important to engage with Undertale because everything I'd heard about the story and the way it's built and the way it plays factored in really heavily to the kind of things I'm interested in, which is um, games with a heavy metatextual element. Yeah. Um, games that are aware that they're games, games that are interested in exploring games and what games are about within their own narratives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Undertale, um, if you're not aware of it, what rock have you been living under? Because it's been an internet, <laughs> an internet darling for like three years now. Is quote unquote the friendly RPG where nobody has to die. So the idea behind Undertale is you are this cute little gender ambiguous child that falls down a hole in a mountain. And in that hole in the mountain is the world of monsters that humans have sealed away after a great war centuries ago or whatever. And part of the combat system is a mercy button. So you can play Undertale like a typical RPG. You can just equip weapons and armor that you find and fight with attacks. And everything has cool little real-time mini-games like uh, Mario RPG style. There's like a golf, or almost like a golf game. There's a bar that goes back and forth. And if you hit it in the green section, right, your, your attacks do more damage. Right. And you can, and you can do that. You can play it just like a normal RPG. But the difference in Undertale is there's a limited amount of encounters. So okay. like, yep. so if you, like, in one dungeon, there might be 10 monsters that live there. Mm-hmm. If you kill them, they're dead. There's no more encounters in that, in that dungeon. So, you're, it's not just you're kill, killing numbers like you would in a regular JRPG, right? Like, randomly generated enemies, there's, there's an infinite number of them. Like, if you kill a monster, you have killed that monster. Yeah. Like, that monster does not exist anymore. Okay. Um, and you level up, and you gain experience, and you get really powerful, and you can kind of mow your way through everything if you play that way. But you can also utilize the mercy button, and the mercy button allows you to spare monsters, um, which is the more challenging way to play the game. So you can meet a monster, and there's a check command to examine them, and it will kind of tell you something about them. So one monster you'll encounter early in the game looks kind of like a reindeer, and he's been like decorated with gifts and presents, and had like garland draped all over his horns and stuff. Okay. But, but if you do the check command on him, it'll tell you that he doesn't like that. Like, it's like some rowdy teenagers put decorations on this monster, and he doesn't like it. <laughs> so then there's another command you can do to turn by turn remove the stuff that's been put on him. Okay. Um, while, you, while he's still attacking you, because he's still hostile towards you, but you can make the decision to dodge his attacks during his attack phase, take the things that have been put on him off one by one by one, and eventually he'll befriend you you can spare him and then you don't have to kill that monster okay so whenever enemies attack in undertale there's almost like a shoot 'em up style mini game yeah um where you actually have to dodge bullets or dodge objects that are thrown at you so there's a very active element and it can get very challenging because if you're deciding to play um what's called a what's normally called a pacifist run wherein you kill nothing um you also don't gain experience or level up yeah 
So I'm at the boss of the game right now on the pacifist run, and I'm still level one with only twenty <laughs> with only twenty HP. <laughs> and the final boss hits pretty hard. So it's almost a metaphor for life, right? Yeah. <laughs> be, be, because to to take the high road, to be gentle, even when others aren't being to you, can be extremely difficult, right? <laughs> so mm, so yeah. Undertale kind of mimics the way that pacifism can be a challenge in real life and then the other way around when you if you play and you're actually killing you will reach a point where you're so powerful that you're just one hit killing stuff constantly yeah because this isn't a world designed around that and it's actually baked into the narrative that humans are physically stronger than monsters it's why the monsters lost the war in the first place right so it so it almost takes on like why are you picking on us kind of thing like why are you doing this to <laughs> us uh, i mean i don't want to ruin anything of the plot because it's really interesting and another thing that's really cool about the game metatextually is that um what you do in a previous playthrough carries into your next playthrough. It's so, like oh, okay. there's this kind, there's kind of a bit of memory involved. Like you'll meet yeah. a monster and it'll be like, hey, I, something's familiar about you. Um, and what you face in terms of the final bosses, what kind of options are available to you, etc., will shift based on whether or not your last run was a pacifist run, uh, what they call a genocide run, where you kill everything indiscriminately, or a neutral run where you've killed some stuff but not everything. Right. And so the game actually shifts the experience you have based on the way you've treated these characters in prior playthroughs. And I'm really liking it. <laughs> cool. I, I, sh I should be wrapping up my first attempt at a pacifist run this weekend, and then I'll start on probably a genocide run, which everyone... The joke online is like, what order should I do the runs in to have the best experience? And then it's just <laughs> have the pacifist run then put the game away and never play it again because if you <laughs> because if you do the pacifist run first the notion of killing these characters is is really difficult yeah because you meet characters who are brothers right two of the earliest characters you meet are brothers so like are you going to kill the one <laughs> and then <laughs> and then like you have to deal with the wrath of the other like because when you kill a character it is dead yeah and it so it's very interesting it's a very interesting game and in a way, it feels like a JRPG near. Yeah. In like yeah. in the way it's it's tragic, it's metatextual, and your actions have consequences. So it's cool. Really enjoying yeah. it, and it's a perfect fit for the Switch, as everything is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, one I I will check out at some point, but uh, haven't got around to for for reasons that I'm sure we'll talk about in the next segment. So, mm -hmm. all right, is that everything for you? Yes, I have not been playing all that much, unfortunately. Fair enough, not too bad. Um, well, the main, oh, the, uh, main thing I've been continuing to play is uh, Evenical, which I am uh, trying to get finished before uh, October starts, which isn't going to happen at this rate, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, I've got probably a chapter and a half left to go on that. Um, yeah, still really enjoying that. It's uh, it's it's sort of ramping up in difficulty and complexity really nicely as it goes through. So, it, 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 the actual mechanics start pleasantly simply. So you sort of just using attacks and sort of basic special moves and stuff. But the further you go, the more you start to get uh, sort of interesting combinations of things that have some synergy with one another, and sometimes sometimes within one character and sometimes across characters. 
so for example you got one character who uh, she fights with her fists um, and in her later level she starts getting these abilities where sort of one of her skills is hit with her left hand and one is hit with her right hand and sort of it's more effective if you sort of do a combo with those different moves and so on Okay. Um, there's ways you can sort of inflict statuses on enemies and that sort of thing and you can sort of set them up for, for different things like that so combat is really quick and pacey so sort of no encounter is, is longer than sort of like maybe 30 seconds or so um, but within those 30 seconds there's plenty of interesting choices to make um, and, and the whole thing is just, just kept really really nicely speedy playable there's a nice sort of sense of impact to, to everything as well and it's it, it's satisfying to play and the, the actual narrative structure has been fun as well so each chapter is very much a sort of self-contained story that they've done really nicely so you, you, you're gradually travelling around the game world with each chapter of the game focusing on this specific region of the world so the first chapter is uh, sort of like this fairly standard sort of green forest green fields farmland that sort of thing the second chapter is like your desert area then you've got a jungle region um and then this this fourth chapter that i'm in at the moment is um this bizarre sort of almost alice in wonderland inspired areas where there's all oh, cool. sort of there's all sort of giant fruits around the place and uh, sort of weird characters and the entire country is obsessed with eating and stuff like that but there's sort of some seriously dark shits going on beneath the surface as well. This, this is this is this is not a game that is afraid to sort of show the dark side of things so if you're familiar with alice soft's work at all you'll probably have an idea where at least some of that goes but yeah there's 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 some seriously unpleasantly violent stuff going on in here as well even even in the most sort of candy colored cheerful of areas um but it's it's done in such a way that you you really genuinely feel emotion and reaction to what is going on you witness these horrific things happening and then your response to that is yes i really want to sort this out it's got this it's got this sort of real way of kind of gripping onto your heart and making you care about what is happening so yeah excellent stuff so far so um as i say i've been writing about that all all month so far and that will spill over slightly into october as well i'm afraid but uh yeah last article for that should be coming this week at the time of this podcast getting released um, so I won't say anything else about that for now because there's uh, lots of words you can read on that. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about the Capcom beat 'em up bundle though, because mm. um, I, it's I a picked gift that, that keeps on giving. It is. It's wonderful. I, I picked it up the moment it got released, and yeah, it's fantastic. It's so good. Um, yeah, it's, it's. What have you checked out so far? Now I know you did Final Fight because you wrote that nice article yeah, about it. Yeah, I've briefly checked out uh, all of the games in there so far. Um, the, Final Fight is the one that I've probably played the most so far, um, and uh, yeah, I've been discovering things that I never knew about these games. It's, it's great. So sort of reading up some some tips from like speedrunners and people who are good at one credit clearing the games and so on. There's some really interesting mechanics in these games that you might just not think about so like final fight has got all these little techniques about when is the right time to sort of strike enemies and sort of when you can uh, you perform an infinite combo by turning around at the right time and deliberately missing attacks and all sorts and so yeah there's a there's a ton of depth in these games that just 
isn't acknowledged very often. Um, I feel but- like some of that stuff, though, isn't mechanics in the pure sense. It's it's exploits of programming mistakes. It could well be. So you, you can't. That, there's nothing about that infinite combo setup that sounds to me like it was an intentional thing from the developers. <laughs> like taking advantage of animation frame skips in order to perpetuate a combo into infinity is not something that a programmer is going to be like. I'm going to make that happen. Yeah. Well. Um, it, it it is hard to say honestly because it, in in a lot of fighting games and stuff like that, the stuff like that is put in there deliberately. But when we Final Fight came out in what nineteen eighty nine was it? It's, I think so. Yeah, it's it's hard to imagine people deliberately putting that sort of thing in there. But the fact is, it, it's there. People make use of it. It's an established way of playing the game now. So it's for it's, sure. It's it's quite interesting to see how that culture has built up around it, if nothing else. Um, yeah. So so Final Fight is probably the one I've played the most so far because it's actually, despite how well known it is, it's not a game that I'm super familiar with. So I never had the Super NES version or anything. I never had the Atari ST version growing up because the Atari ST version was apparently absolutely terrible. Um, but uh, yeah I've been enjoying checking that out uh, been playing a bit of King of Dragons after you were enthusing about it as well and that's mm-hmm. that's, that's a really jam. interesting game yeah King of Dragons is a great game and I, I think you described it to me as a, a projectile based beat-em-up yeah um, yeah. yeah which it's absolutely true it makes it really interesting to play just because a lot of it is is less about getting up in your enemies faces and it's more about um keeping them out of yours yeah keeping them out of yours controlling the space controlling where things are on the screen um and 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 sort of being able to um yeah take take advantage of your character's abilities in such a way it's quite interesting to go back to these older brawlers that don't have mechanics that you might be um sort of taking for granted now like uh, a lot of the older capcom ones don't have the ability to dash for example Mm -hmm. and uh yeah that's that's quite surprising and striking when uh when you first come to them you you find yourself actually wanting to dash and do like shoulder tackles and stuff but uh, you don't have the option to do that so you just have to find alternative means of of doing similar sorts of things um but yeah, yeah, I, I really enjoy everything I've played so far. They're really varied. There's some uh, some really cool character designs in each of the games that I've played. Um, some mechanical diversity as well. So like we say, King of Dragons has got this sort of projectile-based thing going on. Several of them have got interesting sort of RPG-style progression systems as you go through. So you earn experience, you get new weapons, get new items, magic spells, that sort of thing. I love Knights of the Round for that. Because yes. your, char- your characters actually change. Their sprites change. Yes. They level up their yes. armor shifts which i always loved yes that's that's really cool and the um the the most recent one i forgot the name of it what's it called ba- battle circuit battle circuit i've actually never played that have you not no um that's no, re- that's really cool because that's got sort of um you, you the progression in that is not sort of experience based so it's not based on your score but it's uh currency based so you sort of purchase oh, okay. you purchase upgrades between levels um, and those upgrades are not just sort of boost your stats and so on. There's also uh, sort of um, it, things like extending your combos and special moves and that sort of thing. So uh, there's a lot of interesting choices to make in how you build your character in that one. So yeah, ton of variety, some really cool games, and and they run really well as well. So the the ports are flawless uh, on the Switch version. Certainly, I, I can't see them being any worse on sort of the PS4 version. Certainly, but yeah, Switch version 
60 frames a second all the time beautifully smooth movement even the online play seems pretty good i've had uh, i've had a few laggy online games um but then i've had just as many games where the performance was absolutely flawless as well so um and it's just really cool to be able to play one of these games and someone just drop in and help out because if you're used to playing these games solo as i am because i don't have any friends at least not any friends who ever come and visit me um <laughs> it's um yeah my experience with most of these games in the past has been playing them solo so to have the ability for people to just drop in and start playing is is great just because the I mean, experience... that's the pure arcade experience exactly right yeah, like, yeah. If someone walks up next to you plops a quarter in it, and suddenly they're in your game like, yeah that's that sounds like that translated perfectly to the modern day yeah it absolutely does um and and these these games they sort of they feel very different when there's more than one person playing as well so so i played all the way through final fight with a completely random stranger the other night and it was a completely different experience to to playing it through as a solo player just because you can sort of split up groups of enemies you can sort of um, bail each other out of trouble yeah bail each other out of trouble try and keep try and keep out of the way of each other but occasionally uh <laughs> accidentally deck each other in the back of the head um and then you've got things like the the bonus stages which get very competitive very quickly like smashing up the car on the, the the panes of glass and stuff like that that's so much more fun with two people um so yeah highly recommended um it, it it is a bit of a shame that we don't seem to have a physical version of that but it there is at least three different physical versions of it available in japan um so yeah. there's, there's the basic game only bundle and then there's two they've got all sorts of goodies in there as well so things like soundtracks and posters and all sorts of lovely things there so if you yeah if you do want a copy of this to put on your shelf then uh yeah have a look at the japanese versions uh, it's known as the uh, capcom belt action bundle in japan though so have a search for that if you uh if you want a copy on your shelf yeah i'll give it a few more months just to be safe but then i'll be hopping on play asia or something to grab that yeah definitely um only other stuff i've been playing is actually uh, retro stuff so i'm going to take a, a brief moment to plug the other projects i've been doing again um so uh i've been doing a couple of other video series uh one is atari a to z and atari st a to z which are a series of playthroughs of games that i grew up with in most cases there's a few games that i've played that that i didn't play back in the day but i've decided to explore just because they looked interesting or because i always wanted to try them um and yeah they're, they're pretty simple casual videos uh just exploring these different games uh starting uh, games beginning with a and working our way through at the moment we are up to f on the atari 8-bit with final legacy uh, and we've just started the st series with atomino by Cygnosis. Uh, so that will be continuing each week the atari 8-bit videos will be out on tuesdays and the atari st videos will be out on thursdays so watch out for those um and uh after talking a little bit about picking up my uh philips g7000 slash odyssey 2 or back i've uh, picked up a couple of extra games for that uh recently via ebay um two of probably the most well-regarded games for the system now which are uh, pickaxe pete and crazy chase so pickaxe pete is um it's a simple platform game it's got a touch of uh, donkey kong about it in that there's a lot of sort of um timing jumps and ducks to sort of avoid rolling and bouncing objects and so on um and the basic idea of it is uh you have a a, a level that is a series of platforms that have gaps in them and um there are rocks appearing from three doors and you can smash these rocks with a pickaxe so you start each level with a pickaxe that lasts for a little while basically makes you completely invincible 
Uh, when two rocks smash together, uh, they will either create a pickaxe, which falls to the bottom of the screen that you can go and grab, uh, or a key, which goes to the top of the screen, which you can also go and grab. But they both disappear after a few seconds. Um, if you grab the key, you can go out through one of the doors and that takes you onto the next level, gives you a score bonus. If you get the pickaxe, you're then invincible for a few seconds. You can smash up some more rocks, get some more points that way. Um, and that's it. That's that's just the game. But it's really simple. It's really addictive. Uh, like most of these games on the Philips, uh, you have just one life. So you just have to get as far as you can, score as many points as you can with just that single life. And then it just immediately restarts after that. So you're straight back into the action after that to try and beat your high score. And it's one of the games on the system that where you can type in rude words as your high score at the bottom of the screen. And that remains visible until <laughs> someone beats you. So enjoy beating the score of uh, 69 by penis. So anyway uh the other game that i mentioned there was crazy chase which is actually a sequel uh to a game called munchkin uh and munchkin is also a very well regarded game for the system and probably one of the more famous games for the system munchkin is the game that got philips and magnavox into a lot of trouble with atari uh because it basically did pac-man better than atari did pac-man on the 2600 Mm. the 2600 version of pac-man is notoriously bad uh and munchkin is a very good game munchkin uh was a take on pac-man where there were there were fewer dots on the screen but they moved around the screen uh so you had to actually sort of chase them as they got through and the last one moved at the same speed as you so you had to cut it off and so on oh that's cool um it had a random maze generator which was cool it even had a maze editor um which is kind of amazing for the time considering we're talking about 4k cartridge here um no means of saving them of course because battery backup wasn't a thing and there was no means of attaching external storage to this console but you could create a maze and then play it um and then crazy chase was uh, basically a a sequel to this so it was a similar kind of game so it was still uh, a maze based type thing in which, which you were playing a character who totally wasn't pac-man honest um but in this case uh, your job is uh, not to eat dots but there's a sort of um a sort of centipede type thing going around the screen they call it the i think it's called the dratapillar or something like that and your aim in each level is to eat all of the segments of this uh, of this centipede type thing uh but you can only eat it from its like rear segments if its head touches you then you then you die um when you eat one of its segments there are these two other enemies wandering around the screen and when you eat one of the segments of the the main centipede thing they became vulnerable for a little while so you can then go and touch them and start them spinning around and that scores you more points uh, and then it's just a, it's just a repeated cycle of eating a bit of the caterpillar going and getting some points from these enemies going back and forth and that sort of thing and scoring as many points as you can it's it's it sounds quite difficult to describe because it's a very strange idea but it's got a really nice rhythm to it once you start playing it and it's very very addictive like we say it's got that magical quality that so many of these games on that old platform do so um yeah those are both well worth checking out i have a website that is slowly going through and trying to catalog and index the various cartridges that were available for the philips system that is uh, currently at videopackgames.wordpress.com uh, when i scrape some money together to get a domain name for that that will be on its own domain uh, but it's currently on a wordpress site for now atari a to z also has its own wordpress site um, where you can find all of the videos as they're posted that is atari a to z all one word dot wordpress dot com and those videos are also posted on Moe gamer as well so you should be able to come across them however you choose to follow my content uh so yeah that is all the plugging and uh, celebration of weird old retro games that no one's heard of done <laughs> and i think we're done for this segment for now so um we will be back in a moment with our main topic for the episode so we'll see you in a moment 
Welcome back. For our main topic for today, we wanted to talk a bit about hype, generally. Um, so, I've, I've actually uh, taken the time to prepare a few prompt questions for our discussion here. So, um, the the first thing I would like to ask you, uh, or for us to talk about, is uh, just generally, what is your attitude towards hype in general when it comes to gaming specifically? Well, uh, I think it's a double-edged sword, right? Because it's exciting. Like, it's so fun to get caught up in hype for an upcoming mm -hmm. game. But as we've often discussed, it can be extremely damaging to a game's release. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the titles I had written about that I wanted to talk about a little bit today that I always look back at as kind of a tragic story is um, No Man's Sky. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, leading up to No Man's Sky, I mean, it's hard to imagine a title in recent history that's been as hyped and it fell so hard mm -hmm. because of not living up to that hype. And it was a beautiful thing, right? When No Man's Sky was in the development phases and we had new footage and uh, Hello Games would come out and talk about features and share new ideas of gameplay. Yeah. It was, you know, like we talked about Bowsette earlier, right? It was, it, it was neat to watch the gaming community surround this idea. Mm -hmm. be, be so enthralled with what... Uh, no Man's Sky was attempting to offer in terms of this explorable universe ran procedurally generated well, they're not procedurally generated technically but there's so many of them that they feel procedurally generated Yeah, planets and it was neat to see everybody come together be excited for this thing speculate about what kind of things they were going to be able to do and then there is of course the drop right? Yeah. so this game came out and because for a year plus, thousands of people all over the world had been wringing their hands, imagining this game, a game came out that was perfectly serviceable, full mm -hmm. of perfectly interesting things to do, but it wasn't the game these people wanted, because yeah. it wasn't the game they had built in their head over a year and a half of hype. Right. So it's... it's the positive and negative of hype encapsulated perfectly, right, in the yeah. story of No Man's Sky. And then every, I mean, the attacks on Hello Games on No Man's Sky were devastating. Yeah. For even perhaps longer than the hype. I mean, you can still go on forums on Reddit and stuff, and people are just tearing the launch versions of it apart. Oh, well, it's, I, it's it's a it's a meme now. It's a meme. The 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 yeah. phrase the phrase still not as disappointing as No Man's Sky is a meme now. You see it mm -hmm. all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually found the situation with No Man's Sky to be honestly quite surprising because I played that game and it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, me too. And so it's exactly as boring as I expected. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, and, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that as as like a, a criticism of it or anything. It, it was exactly the the experience sure. that everything I'd seen about it up until that day, I figured out it was going to be that from there. So I was honestly really surprised that people were reacting so, so negatively to it that, yeah, it was just bizarre to me. But, well, that's uh, kind of what I'm saying about the hype, right? It's mm. so like, you know, uh, if we could pick a theme for this podcast in general, like something we mention almost every episode, it's that it's important to engage with games on their own terms. Yeah. To play the game you were given and think about whether or not it achieves what the creators wanted that game to achieve. Mm -hmm. um, yes. So with No Man's Sky, because of months and months and months of hype and imagination and hand-wringing, um, people received a game that wasn't the game they designed in their heads. 
Yeah. So they were incapable of playing No Man's Sky as presented to them by Hello Games and saying, is this fun or not? All they, all they were capable of doing was comparing the product they were given to the product they wished they had. And of mm-hmm. course, nothing can ever live up to that. No. No. But the... I, like I say, I think the surprising thing with this is that all of the all of the information was there. Oh, for as sure. To, as to what this game was going to be like. And yet people still got the wrong idea about it they still they still reacted to it based on what what they wanted it to be rather than what it had always been explained to be yeah well there's one thing humanity has demonstrated in all facets of life not just talking about games it's the ability to acknowledge that information exists then completely ignore it and not (laughs) not not internalize it and then not apply it to their daily lives yes and then oddly enough that is i think something that has actually got worse now that we're all so connected with one another that feels like that feels like that is something that has got worse since uh, since sort of the rise of social media and such like so like in a world where everything's instantaneous you don't you don't have to take a minute to ponder yeah exactly you can just post out a knee-jerk reaction and it can just yeah that can spread very quickly and it can be taken as fact which is pretty dangerous really but uh, Mm -hmm. that's a little a little besides the point but um yeah okay so so that's sort of your your general um your general attitude towards hype and and a good example of uh, where it's kind of backfired a bit so personally speaking for you um when you're deciding what you want to spend your money and time on in terms of gaming uh what kind of resources if any do you make use of I mean, for me, being of the age I am, it's more personal experience than anything. Right. Right. So, like, of course, I'll watch trailers and stuff, and mm-hmm. um, I'll read hands-on impressions of preview builds to really get an idea of um, mechanics and whether or not mechanics in a game work. Um, obviously, as I've discussed many times, art style and presentation are hugely important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll, I'll watch trailers and read initial impressions for that stuff, but and that only formulates a small part of what informs my buying decisions. It's also yeah. just perspective and personal experience and history. Mm-hmm. So, you know, something like Dragalia, right, we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, I said to myself, well, I am familiar with Psy Games' output. Mm-hmm. I know they're a well-respected part of the mobile games community. Yep. Obvi- obviously, I'm familiar with Nintendo. I feel confident that this will be a quality product. I'm going to give it a try. Okay. So, so I, I use the knowledge I have of the industry developers and history what i know about genres what i know about what's worked in the past and what games i have enjoyed previously to inform those decisions Mm -hmm. so for you do professional reviews and metacritic ever enter into that equation they they can um but i'm very very careful about to what what types of reviews Right. I let I let influence me, so I can you know having been around as long as we have, uh, I can read a review very carefully, and I can understand whether or not the person right in question writing the review is operating on a wavelength that's similar to mine. Right. Okay. To, so to what degree is that person reviewing a game in question like I just talked about with No Man's Sky? Mm-hmm. I can tell from their candor, from the way they're discussing the game, whether or not they're evaluating the game based on what they expected, yep, or whether or not they're evaluating the game based on historical perspective of what they received. Mm-hmm. Um, so, 
you know, when I read reviews that do that, that pay deference to gaming history, perhaps reference prior games that have successfully done what this game is successfully doing, or vice versa. Yeah. You know, uh, this game is trying to be... Game A is trying to be an action RPG in the vein of Secret of Mana, but here's something Secret of Mana did really well that made it successful that this game's not achieving. Like, I I look for cues like that to explain to me whether or not the reviewer in question is evaluating the game in a way that's informative to me and not yes. just an emotional knee-jerk reaction. Yeah. And if and if that reviewer, and if I deem that review to have been successful in speaking to me with information that I find relevant, then I will take that review quite seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, vice versa. Yes, I, I I can read a review that's a ten out of ten or a nine out of ten, having read it, and only ha- the only information I will get out of the review when I boil down their comments is, I really liked this one. <laughs> yeah. Then I know that's a useless piece of writing. Yeah. And and I'll factor it out of my decisions. Yeah. Um. And and I do use Metacritic quite frequently, which I know some people will fight with me on. But I will go on Metacritic and I will read a couple of the blurbs of positive reviews or negative reviews. And I'll and from that little paragraph or those couple sentences, I can usually determine whether or not that review is going to be useful to me or not. Yeah, I I think that's a, that that is a useful distinction to make because a lot of people sort of focus on the score side of Metacritic, which I do find completely useless. But for sure, th- th- those comments can be quite helpful um as you say from either getting an idea of the general tone of the review or uh whether or not it's being fair to the game in question and so on so so yeah it's it's worth looking at a a mix of those different comments in particular even if you're not paying attention to what the scores are so i was i was thinking about these questions as i was uh, putting them together and um it occurred to me that i don't think i've read a professional review for several years now like even read at all full stop um, oh wow! And it, I mean, there's a number of reasons for that. One is, um, as I've said, the, the sort of scored side of Metacritic is largely useless to me, and I've proven that to myself on numerous occasions. When mm-hmm. there's been something that scored in like maybe the 40s or 50s, which is bad in Metacritic terms, uh, and I've had an absolute blast with it. The the first game where I specifically remember that happening. Uh, was the first Hyperdimension Neptunia game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which which is not an amazing game by any means, and it probably deserves its low scores because it's got, it's got lots of problems. It's, it's technically flawed. But I had such a good time in that game that the, the, the negative aspects of it didn't matter to me, and sort of that, that numerical representation of people sort of highlighting those aspects as, as sort of the most important thing about it it kind of made the idea of a lot of modern reviews useless to me. So I'm specifically talking about professional reviews here. So I'm not saying I don't mm. read anything about games, but far more valuable to me than someone who has got to churn out a review to a deadline for a professional site and get paid for it are the, the actual experiences of people who are playing these games. Maybe people who have played the Japanese version. So like the whole reason I became interested in Rants and Evenical in the first place is because I have friends who played the Japanese versions or fan translations of them and told me about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I know that in the past I've enjoyed the similar kind of games to, to these people, I trusted their opinion. 
and the things they had to say on it and they wrote blog posts on it and they wrote tweets about them and that sort of thing and so everything i heard about those games i knew i wanted to try them um and so the moment that the official localizations came out yeah i was all over them and yeah lo and behold i really enjoyed them so i mean i think these days it for for me certainly and i know i'm not the only person who feels like this i feel like word of mouth and direct contact with people who um whose opinions you trust not necessarily opinions that you agree with but opinions you trust is probably more important than than what we are getting out of the sort of traditional review structure at the moment so that's 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 my um take on whether or not reviews and stuff are more useful i, I mean i mean it's a whole completely different discussion to get into things like scores and stuff but uh, sure yeah so i i'm thinking specifically about the actual content here so that's that's my response to it and it's also what i sort of strive to create with the things that i write as well i try and write specifically about the game i try and um sort of specifically find the things that i've enjoyed about it highlight those things those aspects of the experience acknowledge flaws where they exist by all means but i i just don't think there's for me personally there's a lot of value to something that is excessively negative towards something i think it's more valuable to me uh to sort of find the positive aspects and things that hey this this might have this problem but here are some reasons you might enjoy it sure i mean i like the classic uh like you know um they call it the crap sandwich approach. Yeah. Right. So there's 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 nothing wrong with highlighting flaws, but I, I always like to surround them with here's here's something that worked, here's something that doesn't work. Yeah. Here here's something that is so good that it makes up for the thing that didn't work. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Two positives and a negative. For, for me, having been involved with reviews and games criticism and magazines and such like for sort of 30 plus years by this point, um, I think the the thing that's always struck me about particularly negative re- reviews, particularly bad reviews, is that very often they end up coming out as sort of almost like a therapy session for the reviewer in question yeah so oh, so, ra- sure. so so rather than telling you something particularly useful about the the game in question it just ends up being the reviewer ranting about something they found particularly annoying about that game or even about the company who made the game in some cases and i i know that happens because i know that i've done it a few times i remember reviewing flappy bird on us gamer and i was so annoyed with that game being such a phenomenon that i just i completely took it out on it in a review Mm-hmm. and i'm i'm not proud of that or anything like that but it, it happens and i've seen it happen and i've seen people tear into a game specifically because of um the company who made it without really acknowledging the specifics of what the game does in the first place and this isn't a new thing by any means like i say me and my my whole family have been involved with writing reviews for various types of things for sort of 30 plus years back when we worked on old atari magazines i remember uh me and my dad and my brother all writing negative reviews for things and yeah those bad reviews often ended up in that sort of here here is my list of grudges against this product thing and it's it's not really helpful to anyone i mean it can be amusing to read but in but in terms of but in terms of actually providing you with information that is helpful less so yeah i mean the very structure of professional criticism is unfortunately shoehorned to that because 
God forbid you get assigned to criticize something that you immediately don't like, right? Yeah. So it's, it's especially, it's one thing with film, where you're done with a movie in two and a half hours at most. Uh-huh. Yeah. But God forbid you as a critic are handed a JRPG, and an hour and 15 minutes into it, you don't like the combat engine. <laughs> yeah. And then what? what is the next 35 to 50 hours of your life consisting of? Yeah. Like, how, how can you possibly write something constructive or informative when you've just had 30-plus hours of your life wasted on something you knew an hour into it you didn't like? Yeah. Like, like how, can that, how can something informative and balanced emotionally ever come out of that experience? Mm-hmm. Like, in, in, in most cases, I have, I have a lot of sympathy for critics who are forced into those situations. Yeah. Because I'm not, I'm not a professional, right? So, like, I live my life with video games in just a joy bubble yeah. and if i if i encounter a game i don't like uh-uh. like hour and a half into it i say not for me and i pop my copy up on ebay and i get on with my life yep yeah. like i can't imagine a world where i'm forced to do that it's one of the reasons it's one of the reasons despite having a master's degree focused on professional criticism i chose not to pursue it yeah because i said to myself this is a life that will just force me to hate the things I love the most. Yeah. And I couldn't and I couldn't do it to myself. Yeah. Definitely. All right. So, advancing on from that discussion there. So, I've got two two related questions here. First, so first of all, um can you think of any examples where excessive hype towards something put you off wanting to try it? We've we've already brought up one example already, I know, but uh yeah, so times when excessive hype put you off something. Yeah, I'm struggling to think of anything really besides Undertale at the moment, but I just remember thinking about, you know, the the hype surrounding that game and knowing, knowing that there's no way it could possibly be as good mm-hmm. <laughs> as everyone seemed to think it was. So, I mean, it, was there something specific you found off-putting about that, or was it just that you knew it couldn't possibly be as good as everyone was kind of making it out to be? It was just... Uh, examples of like the humor i had seen online obviously as i mentioned before i found the art super off-putting yeah um that was basically it right it was like the art and the humor i Mm -hmm. I didn't think sounded particularly good yeah and so i just i said this is not a a product this doesn't appear to be a product of of the quality that everyone seems to think it is and i don't think it is i'm loving it i'm really enjoying it but i do i think it's this explosive like thing that yeah (laughs) that the, the fan community thought of thought it was no i don't mm-hmm. i don't believe so i mean I, I look at how much like fan art and stuff surrounds certain characters like obsessed people are with certain characters in these games and these are characters they have like two paragraphs of dialogue yeah like i, I don't understand the hype like <laughs> i still and this is, this is i'm enjoying this product and i still don't understand that hype yeah. and i really and i really feel like you know talking about the, you know what we just mentioned about critics had i decided yes i'm going to play undertale during that swell of popularity the mm-hmm. whole time i would have i wouldn't have been able to be anything but negative about it yeah like i would have been saying why are people loving this character so much this character has like four speaking lines i don't get this and i just would have mm-hmm. been angry about it the whole time yeah yeah i think that's fair i think with something like humor as well it's quite a difficult one because very often people will share things that are sort of the culmination of something that ended up making them laugh but out of context those things just aren't funny um and i think i i think probably the most um 
obvious example I can think of that. I, I've actually managed to remain fairly under Taylor spoiler free up until now, so I actually haven't seen much dialogue and stuff from it. Um, but the probably the best example I can think of that happening is: Do you remember um, that mobile game a few years back called Sword and Sorcery? No, no, it I'm was familiar um, with it. It was uh, a mobile game called uh, that was uh, sort of it had a soundtrack by. Let me look it up actually, so I don't give incorrect information. But it was it was a big deal at the time. Um, it was uh, a mobile game that had a very distinctive pixel art style. Um, it was it was a, a, a distinctive pixel art style that I actually kind of hate. It was the, the sort of bandy legged hero type. Thing. Oh oh oh, sword and yeah. Okay, yeah. I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it was by Super Brothers and Capybara Games. Yeah. Uh, with yeah, music, yeah, yeah, music yeah. by Jim Guthrie. So, so yes. all, all of those people were sort of, sort of sort of well known in the indie sector at that point, and everyone and absolutely crazy for this game when it was released on mobile. And um, one of the features that the original mobile version had was uh, the ability to tweet out to the current line of dialogue that was on screen. Okay. And, and my God. Twitter was full of out of context quotes from this game for like a month and it was just infuriating just because none of them were funny because they were obviously part of a longer speech of some sort sure but people were just like sharing the last line of that dialogue and it just became so utterly infuriating that i i just never wanted to see that game ever again and by the time <laughs> by the time i came around to trying it i was so annoyed by the the tone of these lines that i had seen out of context so many times that i i just couldn't enjoy it that's I, exactly where i was with undertale yeah but now that i'm playing it I'm a genuine laugh out loud moments. Like I'm yeah. super loving it. So wasn't yeah. the case with sword and sorcery. I hated that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not with you on the art. I love the art. I could look at screenshots of that game all day long, but the game is rubbish. Yeah. But yeah, that was, that was sort of, sort of one of the, one of the biggest examples. So uh, I can think of that, but most AAA stuff, I, I end up getting hype fatigue from as well these days. Just oh, be- for sure. Just because, just because there's there's so much coverage of stuff that doesn't need that much coverage. Oh yeah. Basically. Um and so yeah, it a, a lot of people are probably familiar with with sort of um various ways that outlets like to sort of bait in the clicks with with articles about a popular game and so on but a lot of people don't realize that that even extends to things like guide content and so on so sort mm-hmm. of t- towards the end of my time with us gamer uh us gamer was uh, sort of uh, putting together a partnership with Prima games and so a lot of content on us gamer at that point became this guide content from Prima games because it was a fairly transparent attempt to get people who were googling how do i defeat so and so in dark souls to the page and all that does is it just adds to the noise over a particular product and it just means that people's brains and senses are so saturated with stuff about a particular product that yeah it it, for me certainly when my brain gets oversaturated with something about one topic in particular i just switch off there's i just have a Mm -hmm. i just have a saturation point where it's like no no more i don't i I don't want anything to do with this at all and well you're already full up yeah why 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 engage with it you're already full yeah there's there's always something else you can walk away from yeah and walk away from that and, and go to and it it just seems kind of counterproductive to me because i'm sure i'm not the only person who feels like that there's got to be people who are who are sick of reading the same stories about the same games all the time and so on there are so many games out there now that 
that that you can write about something different every day. It's yeah, where, but we, we end up getting articles about the about the same big games all the time. So I I think young people have have a greater capacity for it than we do. Yeah, quite possibly. When they're, when they're wide-eyed and non-jaded and full of energy, <laughs> like their their ability to put up with <laughs> to put up with this stuff is probably much much greater. I don't yeah. know. If I see one more article about the goddamn new dogs in Fortnite, I'm going to hang myself. <laughs> oh, but you can read about testicles in Red Dead Redemption 2 instead then. Oh, okay. <laughs> they respond to the weather. <laughs> but you know, jiggly boob physics are wrong, so but, well, yeah. But temperature responding testicles are absolutely fine. Um, anyway, <laughs> I, I don't want to dwell too much on the negative side of things there. But yeah, that, that is basically that is basically how excessive hype puts me off stuff. I, I just get oversaturated with information. Sure. It, it just makes me not want to do stuff. So flipping that around, can you think of any examples where there was excessive negative attention towards something that actually made you want to check it out? Um. I mean, in a way, I mean, I think, you know, there's something I had written down that I kind of wanted to talk about, which is kind of what I call, like, late hype or, like, reverse hype. Okay. So, like, like I, I always think of Nier, the original Nier. Yes. And just how, like, that game was shit upon for, like, years. And then somehow, like, the like the fan JRPG community like, rediscovered it. Yes. Like, a year, like, you know, a year or two after and said, hey, wait, this game is actually great. Mm-hmm. And, like, just the whole story of that evolution of, like, fan attention to it. And, like, to me, like, just... I knew about the story of it before I really knew anything about Nier. Yeah. Like, I I knew, like, here was this game that, like, got totally wrecked by critics. And then I, I knew the whole history of, like, the fan community discovering it and then enthusing about it, like, late, later. And understanding that evolution made me want to play it all the more. Yeah. Like, on, on knowing that here was a game that was torn apart by professionals, and then, but then fans love, and here's why. Like, that bell curve, as, as, a, as a point of history, made me really excited to finally try the game. Yeah. So I think that's a pretty good example of of that. Yeah, that is a, that is a really good example. I, I played near sort of in between those two um, data points, if you like. So I played it sort of roughly between the reviews that were panning it and everyone suddenly deciding it was this great masterpiece. Um, it was quite interesting because it was, it was back on the, the old podcast I used to do, the Squadron of Shame podcast. Uh, there was one of us um, yeah, happened to mention that they'd been playing it and they'd found some really interesting things about it. So we decided to make it one of the games that we'd play through together and then discuss on a podcast. And yeah, every one of us who played it, we were very pleasantly surprised by a game that had had an incredibly mediocre reception. It wasn't even an especially negative reception that Nier had had. It was, it was just a mediocre reception. It was just no, like... It was just like, oh, this game's all right. It's nothing yeah, special. Yeah, like, they, they, tr- they tried. Like that was kind of their yeah response yeah. to Nier. Um, but it, yeah, but then we we played it and it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, and that was that was just a really strange example of uh, yeah, like like you say, like you say, reverse hype or late hype is uh, a really interesting way of looking at it, and that that happens with with quite a few things these days. There's there, there's stuff sort of comes around for a second win sometimes sometimes all it takes is like a random meme to start off the popularity of something again someone will make mm-hmm. a random silly image macro edit of an old game or something like that and that will suddenly get everyone back into it 
And there's there's other stuff that uh, like otherwise wouldn't be heard of things like VR chat on Steam. People wouldn't have heard of that if it wasn't for people sharing all stupid Ugandan knuckles memes and stuff like that. It's very strange. Um, for me, an example specifically of something getting negative attention that made me want to try it, it has to be has to be Dungeon Travelers Two. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because my first contact with that game was Polygon saying this is porn, ban it pretty much yeah (laughs) i remember that i remember that whole story see i didn't come to that game that way because i came to that game as a fan of sting yeah so i knew i would like it because i knew it was developed by sting yeah see see at that point i i i I wasn't familiar with sting at all and i remember having a conversation with you where you explained the virtues of sting and that just made me more excited for this game but yeah the initial reaction to this game was just so overwhelmingly negative and it seemed to come from a position that was just unwilling to engage with it in the first place. And it just made me think, well, no, it can't be that simple, can it? So, so yeah, sure enough, I checked it out. And it's one of the best role-playing games I've ever played. It Man, is, it's it, incredible. It is one of my favorite games of all time by this point. And, yeah, it, it, it just... It just amazes me that I came to that game precisely because someone said, it is awful, you should ban this, Atlas can do better than this. And... Yeah, it's, it's just a prime example now of how your tastes can diverge from the mainstream and you're not necessarily wrong or anything, but you, you just have a different outlook on how things are. And as, you, as we've said before, it is so important to judge things on their own merits, not on hearsay, not on reputation of, of sort of art style or anything like that, but take the time to engage with it yourself and make up your own mind about it if you still hate it after that absolutely fine but yeah relying purely on negative attention and refusing to try something is yeah it's it's a personal bugbear of mine we kind of i kind of have this joke that, that i go through with myself because no one else will appreciate it but but like whenever a game i'm really excited for comes out you know we were talking about metacritic mm-hmm and one of the first things I always do is look at Metacritic, and if it's a game I'm like super excited for, if it if it has a green, like an eighty five percent or higher, I'm like, uh oh. <laughs> like if I log into Metacritic and like the JRPG X that Chris is really excited for has a sixty five and it's yellow, and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna like this. One. I'm gonna like this one. Because if it's green, it just means a shitload of news art news outlets who I don't respect loved it. Yeah, <laughs> and it also means that they're going to be spouting stuff like, "Oh, this is the grand return of the JRPG. They've been yeah. dead for twenty years." Yeah, like perspective free <laughs> garbage. Like, like I triple dog dare you to go re- read reviews of Dragon Quest Eleven. They're, they're I, like I, pain. They're painful. Yeah, I, I I've seen a couple. That was enough. I just I just can't bring myself to look at anymore. It's like the ultimate drinking game is to is to <laughs> is to buy a bunch of booze, read Dragon Quest Eleven reviews, and every time the word traditional comes up. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've had this discussion before, haven't we? And I, yeah, yeah. I re- I regret my past outlook on Dragon Quest, as as we've said. But it, yeah, it is entirely. But you, the- but you but you let those impressions take you there, right? Yeah. That's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. O- only when you engaged with it on your own terms, separated from the, all the ballyhoo were you able to actually respect dragon quest for what it really is yeah for how wonderful it really is yeah definitely <sighs> but yeah that's that, that's the chris's metacritic yellow game i play it 
I play it all the time. Honestly, like, oh, this game. Honestly, I, I'm pretty sure I do something similar. Yeah, like 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 I say, I I don't pay attention to the actual scores themselves, but sort of like. I know there are there are certain words and phrases that people will use that I, that will make me know that I'm going to enjoy something in most cases. <laughs> no, we, we know what we like, right? We're grumpy yeah. old men, and we know what we like. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, I just watched the uh, the original 1984 Transformers movie in a theatrical showing this week. One of my favorite movies of all time, and the uh, cup. Like the stereotype, like experienced old veteran transformer, just goes experience. <laughs> and that's 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 my like some place reminds you of every place else. They make fun of him, and he goes experience. You need to get some. Like use it. Like, you'll be lucky. You'll be you'll be lucky enough to live to get some. Like I just I just know from from history. Yeah. From having studied and played games for my entire life. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Okay. Last prompt for you then, uh, and I'm putting you a bit on the spot here. But can you think of a game that you love that no one else has heard of? Oh boy, it's so hard because like to find no one else, right? I mean, all the games I really, really like have um, you know some kind of fandom. Yeah. Um, like we mentioned Sting earlier, and I love Sting's Department Heaven series mm-hmm. of RPGs, and I feel like those don't get talked about at all. But to yeah. say nobody, to say nobody has ever heard of them is probably well. I, I, okay, let's 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 define that as doesn't get talked about much. Then. Oh yeah. Well, then I I, I love Sting, and I love Sting's Department Heaven series, which is Riviera, um, Riviera, uh, Yggdra Union, Knights in the Nightmare, and Gungnir. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're beautiful wonderful games with unique mechanics incredible art presentation incredible soundtracks and but i do feel like you know they were relatively well received when they came out too because they were so unique that people who are tired of other games gave them the fair shake because they were so special at the time Mm -hmm. yeah stuff i like that nobody's ever heard of that's tough that's really really tough there's a lot of like weird little shooters and stuff I love from like back in like the Turbo Graphics days and stuff. Yeah. They're just weird, but I I feel like that's hardly pertinent to this discussion because it's going back to old school pixel art stuff is not really <laughs> the same as a discussion about hype and like how the media has distorted things. Yeah. No, yeah. I don't think I have an answer for you on that one. That's okay. No, it it is how quite a difficult. You? It is quite a difficult question, isn't it? So, and yeah. I mean, I think. I think when we when you consider this this sort of thing, it, it, yeah, it just has to be something that just for whatever reason just hasn't had the attention it's, it's deserved for one reason or another. And I, I've brought up a, a few examples over the course of this episode. So, um, the that strategy RPG, SLE the Eternal, I mentioned earlier, is a good one. Mm-hmm. That's that's not very well known. Um, it, I mean, it's reasonably well known among the visual novel community and such like, particularly its, its history of localization and such like, but. Uh, I mean that's on Steam, so it, it's not as if it's sort of like a, a particularly hidden game or anything like that. So, but I, I, I've, I'm still yet to come across many people who have heard of that one, talk about it or anything like that. In fact, I, I only came to it in the first place because back when I was running a site called Games Are Evil, which is no longer with us, unfortunately. Um, yeah, a, a regular commenter on my visual novel column. Um, when i was talking about sort of fantasy theme stuff he was like 
this game you will love it you need to check it out <laughs> and the 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 opportunity to get a review copy from just usa uh came, happened to come up at the time because they were in the process of localizing it mm. and uh yeah sure enough it was this amazing game that i'd not heard any hype about at all i'd not seen any previews of i'd not seen any news stories about and it was yeah just this utterly fantastic game um oh i got one go on <laughs> go on go for it far oh, away no no, I don't want to cut you off. No, it's, it's fine. I've, it. I've said my piece there. Okay. Sell the Eternal. Buy it. <laughs> okay, so there, there's there is an action game for the PS2 that came out near the very tail end of the PS2 called Bujin Guy, the Forsaken City. Oh yeah, yeah. And like, no, I don't think I've I don't think I've ever actually had a conversation with another human being who's played this game. Hmm. I have like played, I, I, I haven't played it, but I ha I have heard of it at least. So, so Bujin Guy is like a character action third person game, very much in the similar uh, vein of like de of of a Devil May Cry or a Bayonetta, just a combo driven combat. But the entire design philosophy of the game circulates around um, Hong Kong wire action. Films. Oh, okay, yeah. So, like, you fly around and you have like there's like beautiful ribbons and the stuff that like fly around as you fight, and like there's you get in these like. like these like cinematic like sword duels when you like clash with enemies and you can like run on the walls and you you your jump you jump like skyscraper high when you jump and you float down like beautifully it's all <laughs> just that like crouching tiger hidden dragon thing but yeah. it's a third person action game where you're controlling that right. and it ha and it's made by Red Entertainment which has been around forever yeah and it's beautiful and it has an incredible soundtrack and the main character is based off that gacked guy that's really popular in Japan. Oh yeah, <laughs> so it's awesome. Uh, but like I said, I've besides my friends personally who've played it with me and played my copy, I don't think I've ever had a conversation with another human being who's played that game, and it is incredible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's, it's not a game that I'm familiar with, but I, I have at least heard of it. I remember hearing the name of that, but uh, I, I don't remember the context or anything about the game itself. But yeah, that sounds really cool. After it's pretty great. See if I can uh, source a copy of that from somewhere, for sure. All right. Anything else you'd like to mention on the subject? No. I mean, I think that's it. A lot of the stuff, you know, I kind of thought of. We we had mentioned in prior episode, just like how unfortunate both of our initial reactions to Last Guardian was. Yeah. Um, and how much I'm very much looking forward to coming back to that in like another year or so. Yeah, same. And 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 evaluating it on its own terms because I bounced off it real hard because type took yeah. me away on yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I I've got a few things on my shelf that I've been deliberately not playing straight away just because I want to come to them kind of fresh with beginner's mind and such like i was <laughs> I, I was actually talking to um a guy on um a youtuber that i watch called classic game room not classic game room, classic gaming quarterly is someone different okay um and it, and he picked up a bunch of um like old commodore 64 games and stuff and shared a photo of them and um yeah i happened to see one of the games amongst there was uh buck rogers planet of zoom which is a great game um, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's a really old Sega no. game. It's uh, it's it's like a sort of proto afterburner slash space harrier. In that it's it's sort of uh, oh, okay. a, a behind the ship and you're flying through gates and stuff like that and shooting things down. Yeah, it's a, it's a really fun game. But um, sounds great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he deliberately said that he he bought a bunch of stuff that he'd maybe sort of heard of in passing, but he deliberately wasn't going to look up any information on them before he played them because he he just wanted to go in there with with beginner's mind with all of them. And I think that that's a great way to 
to uh, to handle a lot of things these days just to just to kind of try and divorce yourself from that hype as much as you possibly can i mean it's it's impossible to to completely get yourself out of the original context of something that had a particularly positive or negative reception but uh yeah as much as possible it's what i like to do as well all right okay let's draw that to a close there for now then so chris would you like to tell people where to find you on the internet sure uh you can always find my artwork at mrgilderpixels.com i know there's always a link in the uh in the postings for it Uh, and i'm also always around on twitter tumblr or instagram at mrgilderpixels i also recently have started a facebook page that's mrgilderpixels page on facebook um so i'm always around love hearing from people always looking for new project ideas i'm gonna see if i can't crank about that out this weekend we'll see what happens do it do it excellent um yes and as always you can find my main site at mariogamer.net uh, with uh, articles every weekday and uh, a couple of bits and pieces at the weekend when i find time to squeeze out something like a video or something like that you can find my atari a to z videos on youtube or at atari a to z.wordpress.com and you can find my stuff on the philips g7 7000 or the Magnavox Odyssey 2 to you Americans at videopackgames.wordpress.com There's links to all of those down in the description. So, as always, thanks very much for listening and we'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember you can watch a video version of it over on YouTube. Be sure to check out moegamer.net for new articles on Japanese and Japanese-inspired video games, new and old, every weekday. Every month, Moegamer features an in-depth exploration of an individual game or series as its cover game, so be sure to check the archives to see if your favourite has had a deep dive yet. If you'd like to support the site directly, please consider becoming a patron or buying me a coffee. You can find links to do both over on moegamer.net. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.